This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. My goal every week is simple, bring you something informative and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. If you're a veteran and a Trump supporter, what are you hoping for now? We asked the group Vets for Trump what they're thinking about. It really wasn't just about the man, you know, Donald Trump. It, it was always about what he stood for, which was, you know, making America great again, making America strong again, because we've got some very big and very dangerous looming threats out there. So social media is something that we need to view with a very skeptical eye. Socialism is the economics of communism. I mean, that's really what it is. And that corrosive ideological influence is stemming today mostly from China. You know, I was there on the 6th of January. They want the Constitution to be so real that they will go to the extent of invading the Capitol, but you don't feel safe with guns. Well, I mean, it's guns. Thomas, let's not put words in my mouth, buddy. I mean, look, I mean, I feel plenty well, safe I, holding the gun. Look, we have to look at some of these catastrophic failures that have caused this frustration with the American people. So, we've had a hell of a lot happen this year, and it's only the start of February. I mean, the Rona, the riots, and let's face it, it's been dominated by politics lately. And as divisive as the last couple of months have been, the fact remains that there are still thousands of veterans out there who are proud Republicans, voted Trump, and now really unsure about what the future holds. One group who has loudly supported President Trump over the past few years is the Facebook group Vets for Trump. Now, at one point, it swelled to 200 and some thousand followers and has been a great place for vets to exchange articles and opinions, but it's also been the target of foreign internet criminals. Like a story I found in the Washington Post back in 2019, the site fell victim to a sketchy Macedonian web company who promised ad revenue only to hijack their page, lock out the rightful owners, and use their site to spread disinformation through seriously sensational and viral tabloid articles. Exactly the kind of disinformation and, let's face it, crap, that we spoke about on this podcast a few weeks ago on the episode entitled Vets, Violence, and the Social Media War. Basically, think about anything that a lot of the yahoos that stormed the U.S. Capitol were ingesting online. It doesn't all emanate from our fellow Americans 
in Facebook groups. Now, when I initially reached out to Vets for Trump, I was looking for the founder, Navy veteran Joshua Macias, who is apparently no longer involved with the site. But he has stayed in the news. And most recently, on the night of the presidential election, he and another guy were arrested in Philly when they did what they considered their duty as patriots. And he went from his home in Virginia Beach to Philly to a polling location to help observe the count. Now, I guess they were armed and despite being concealed carry permit holders with tons of, you know, weapons experience, um, their permits were from Virginia and the law in Pennsylvania had changed and they ended up getting arrested on some kind of weapons charge. The amount of his bail was obnoxiously high and he even had to start a GoFundMe account in order to raise the money he needed for bail. Now, I tell you all about Joshua Macias because my original interview was scheduled to be with him. But the day we were supposed to do it, I only had to go back to Philadelphia and go back to court uh, because Assistant District Attorney Andrew Welbrock presented video evidence that showed that he and his colleague were on the Capitol grounds on the day of the U.S. Capitol riot. And uh, they argued uh, that that violated his previous bail conditions. The video evidence also showed that Macias was on the grounds and he was comparing Mike Pence to an 18th century trader and he was using words like insurrection but basically still just exercising his freedom of speech. There was drama in the courtroom. His attorney gave a passionate plea about how this is all jacked up and violating his First Amendment rights, and he's losing his liberties, and it ended with his attorney being put in contempt of court, and court judge Crystal Bryant-Powell increased Macias's original $750,000 bail by $100,000, forcing Macias to come up with the extra ten grand in order to post bail and it sounds to me like he's no longer allowed to do media interviews or anything to do with social media until the case goes forward. That does begin to step on the liberties that we're supposed to have, according to the Constitution. And uh, I don't know, I think increasing the guy's bail is pretty jacked up. Now, since we can't talk with Macias, Vets for Trump national spokesperson, Thomas Speciali, agreed to chat with us. And he's an Army veteran, a weapons instructor himself and a former candidate for Congress. And now as I hit record, you know, to get some basic levels, I had just asked him about Macias and whether or not he thought going two states away from your home, packing a gun to observe some votes that, you know, aren't even in your district was a good idea. And before we could even start the interview, we rolled right into a spirited discussion about guns and going to election locations. And unfortunately, that is not articulation that you mostly hear. You're a perfect example. You think anybody that carries a handgun must be afraid for their life. I'm not afraid. I have an obligation to protect you because you can't protect yourself. And you've chosen to not protect yourself. That's what you've chosen. You have chosen to be a victim. And I'm not going to choose to be a victim. And unlike you also, who lives in the world of counterterrorism, I know how many actual cuckoo birds are out there. And that's a very different situation than you find yourself in. You go to perfectly safe places. You only associate with people that are perfectly safe. You feel perfectly safe. But if you were in a mall and somebody was shooting it up, you'd be wishing that you had a gun too. But you don't feel safe with guns. 
Well, I mean, it's Thomas. That's not put words in my mouth, buddy. I mean, look. I mean, I feel plenty well, safe I, holding I, a gun. No, okay. I mean, I've been shooting guns since I was like nine with my dad. No, I no, grew no, up in Minnesota. I, I, I mean, I'm I, good with guns, but, pal. But <laughs> I mean, but don't make me sound like a freaking pansy. No, no, no. That's different. That it is different than what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to get you to to, to see. It's different in kind of being comfortable with guns than it is to live with guns. Yeah, I just You're I, I just don't see the need to play with my kids on my street in my neighborhood packing heat. That's all. That, that, that's all I'm saying. And the whole reason we got but on this is because I just don't see the need to drive 300 miles away to go put myself in a situation like poor Josh did where... I'm exercising some sort of fundamental right. I'm on this, like, you know, fight against the, nope. you know, people taking over the Constitution or disavowing their, you know, you know, my, 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 my rights as a citizen. Um, at the end of the day, man, my main job is to support my family, to bring home an income and to make sure that, yep. you know, the home improvements gets done around the house. And I can't do that That's if I'm tear assing around the country all. trying to be a patriot, getting myself in what could That's, be a potential, yeah. you know, right. pickle. All. But that's but that is different. That is a very different mindset than somebody who feels an obligation to take care of their country. You care about more about your family than you do your country. Now, again, now you put words in my mouth, buddy. No, I I, I I I love my country. I will pay my taxes. I will give to Caesar what is Caesar, and I will give to God. Yeah. You know everything else. But I don't I've, feel the need to go look for static. It's as simple as that. Hey, but, I, nobody, but but that's but that's what you're. That's what, again. That's what you don't understand. Nobody's looking for static. They want to be prepared when there become when there comes static. And some people are proficient and confident enough to do that. Others are not. Hey, look, I respect the carrying the gun thing for a law enforcement guy or somebody that's trained like that, like yourself, far more in a way than I do driving 300 miles outside my neighborhood just to go, like, attend some sort of election event that doesn't I, matter I, what happens I, in I, Philly. I, it's not my voting district. I, <laughs> I, well, but it is, though. But it's, okay, well, we it, can get it, into it, that all, it, we, we could do that all day long. I want to welcome you to the show, Thomas. I haven't even started the interview. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, what's oh, up, oh, brother? I, I am, I am, I'm an expert on having this conversation. I've been having it for many years. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me not to get into that conversation when we get into it. Yeah, you know, so. No, no worries, man. This is the time where we're going to reset. The beers just got brought to our proverbial table. You and me sitting in a pub right now. I'm, I'm sure it'll all be thrown out. Yeah, ma'am. And we'll be right back with more with National Spokesperson for the Vets for Trump Facebook group, Thomas Speciale, when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to Eye on Vets, which is powered by ConnectingVets.com. And I'm your Navy veteran host, Phil Briggs. And I want to jump back into our interview now with Mr. Thomas Speciale, the national spokesperson for Vets for Trump, an Army veteran and a career intelligence officer. We were talking about what they want and where we go from here. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah, man. Well, we got caught up a couple weeks ago. We were chatting about this election and we were chatting about the recount and uh, and all these things. And I stumbled upon your Facebook page and 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 I really liked you guys. I like the cut of your jib. I really wanted to know more about how you feel. And now that we're looking at the early days of the President Biden administration, I want to chat with you where Vets for Trump goes from here um, and just kind of open the floor, uh, you know, to you. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share that. Where do you want to start? 
Uh, I guess the probably the best place to start is um, what what uh, that's where Trump is going to be doing going forward, um, and that'll give a, a sense of what it is. You know how we envision the future. I think that you know what we're going to transition to is um, a veterans and first responder organization to carry on the torch that was lit by uh, President Trump. Uh, you know we're, we're we're mobilized now. It's it's the largest. That's for Trump is the largest single nationwide grassroots organization that supported the president. Um, but it really wasn't just about the man. You know Donald Trump. It, it was always about what he stood for, which was you know making America great again, making America strong again, uh, uh, making America the force in the world for liberty that it was you know was envisioned to be. Basically, taking us back to our founding fathers' intentions of the Constitution, and so we're going to continue that. We're going to continue carrying that torch, uh, but we're also going to be including. First responders, EMTs, police officers, et cetera. That's my dog barking in the background. Sorry, <laughs> <That's> uh, <all right. laughs> but uh, we're going to we're going to be in, in, involving uh, first responders in our organization going forward because we realize that there are no real first responder organizations. How that applies to going forward with you know with uh, the the new administration, you know, I I, I just don't see a whole lot of. Uh, change occurring. I think that, you know, a year from now, I mean, I've been saying this, everybody right now should go and write down what gas prices are, what the unemployment rate looks like, what the stock market looks like, um, whether or not they're better off now than they were four years ago, and then measuring that against what they are a year from now, because ultimately that will be the measuring stick going forward. And I think it's important for people to document where they're at you know, financially and where they they see the country at, and then we'll know. Really good point, by the way. You're right. I mean, if you're going to see any growth or you're going to measure anything, you got to start with a baseline. So, yeah, let's look at where we are today in the early days of 2021. And, you know, let's compare and contrast. Watch it as it goes six months, eight months, 12 months. Um, looking ahead, what do you want to do with this voice? What do you want to see? What issues are you promoting? And bottom line... What do you guys want this year? Support for veterans and the support for our military, because most of the military is also, uh, you know, veterans offspring. Veterans, you know, I've got two of my own children serving in uniform right now today. Um, and so veterans and military issues are, are you know, joined at the hip. Um, and so it's always been about uh, the, the country taking care of our veterans and, you know, making us uh, that strong force for, you know, liberty and democracy in the world. And, you know, and ultimately President Trump exemplified those things. And that's why so many veterans fell in behind him when he, when he uh, took office. We're going to hold our legis you know, our legislative body to account regarding veterans issues. And so one of the things that we've really got to do something about, it's my uh, passion right now is I really want um to be having a conversation about mental health issues and PTSD in the United States. And it, neither party really wants to have this conversation because it's going to be probably very costly. And at the same time, you're, you, you know, you, uh, you're not going to see the kind of results you get from, you know, uh, fanciful 
declarations like you're going to rebuild every, you know, you're going to put solar on every house in the United States or, you know, kill off all the cows because they create too much methane. You don't get the kind of attention you're going to get from trying to solve the mental health or the homeless issue in the United States. And so, um, you know, our hope is is to keep things focused on, uh, you know, reality, reality based objectives, right. like reducing suicide, veteran suicide in particular for us, but suicide more broadly, and, um, and you know, uh, health care for veterans, continuing what we've done with the VA, um, continuing to, you know, to build the United States military, because we've got some very big and very dangerous looming threats out there, uh, one of which is the, the communist influence, you know, over our domestic politics with regard to China in particular. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're going to basically continue to fight those same battles that President Trump was fighting. In what way do you want to see that achieved? Uh, are you talking specific bills or are you looking at some kind of modalities that you want to see implemented? What I would like to see really is um, a real open conversation about what healthcare assets are available for people that are suffering from mental health care problems. So, you know, we, we virt- there is virtually no help available for somebody in crisis with regard to suicide in the United States. Law enforcement has a dramatic suicide rate. Um, veterans that that also have a, a an extreme suicide rate. So that's where Trump will support raising awareness about mental health care. Um, at the same time, making mental health care more available. And also, when I say, you know, helping people become informed about mental, you know, mental health care is, you know, we really need a better program um, of intervention with regard to people that are suffering from, uh, from crisis. I, I have personally at least five, I used to have six, but one of them has made it over the hump, I believe, um, friends and family that are suffering from extreme anxiety, extreme depression um, as a result of either time deployed or, you know, family disruption as a result of time deployed or financial problems as a result of um, not being able to find work or all of these things need to be taken into consideration when we're talking about mental health care. It's, it's got to be a whole of government really whole of America response to dealing with really a pandemic of suicide. What about uh, the groups like AMVETS that are stepping up and already doing things like the suicide prevention and crisis intervention course? You don't think that this should be done in a galaxy of organizations, but rather the large federal government should sweep in and make some sort of overall universal plan? What, what I'm getting at is, is that there needs to be a national level conversation that is that gets all the way down to the dinner table. That's what I would like to see the federal mm. government promote. Let's talk military. Uh, you said that, mm-hmm. of course, you wanted to back the military and referenced um, about the Chinese communist influence, about the Russian influences. Um, share with me what you think we need to be doing in the future about those, because I think we just have lived through a traumatic event of our own on January 6th. But really, that was the culmination of two or three or four years of political debate, which was being fueled by foreign actors. 
online, yeah. social media. None of us really know where some of these stories emanate from that we're clicking and sharing and liking and, and not a whole hell of a lot of fact checking even going on out there in the world on either side of the political equation. And yep. what I'm wondering is what do you think needs to be done in 2021 and beyond to address this? And specifically, what were you referring to when you said the Chinese communist influence in America? Well, um, that's a that's a hell of a question uh, because it's so multi-layered. I think that first and foremost, there are two singular threats to our republic that we have to identify and again, sort of be on the guard against, right? And the two, those two threats, I believe, are social media. The second is the influence of uh, the communist ideology back into the United States. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs for ConnectingVets.com. Now, this hour, we've been talking to Thomas Speciali, the national spokesperson for the Vets for Trump Facebook group. And Speciali believes that right now there are two major threats we need to contend with. They are, ironically, social media itself and the influence of Chinese communism right here in our own backyard. So social media is something that we need to view very uh, with a very skeptical eye rather than just consuming it voraciously without any thought. And so we need to be educating our children and educating young adults. And, and I believe that the intelligence community has an obligation here as well in revealing things where things are coming out. That may be something that comes out in the near future. The second major threat to the republic is the influence of uh, the communist ideology back into the United States, not so much from Russia. I think that uh, it is that that's more of a um, almost like a political economic influence that is that is negative for us. It's, it's uh, you know, we know from the Mueller report, I think the first half of the Mueller report is an amazing document. Uh, the, the second half of the Mueller, Mueller report is all a cover up. Um, but. The, the communist ideology, which socialism, socialism is the economics of communism. I mean, that's really what it is. And so to have as many people in the United States today, especially these young kids right out of high school and right out of college that are advocating for universal basic income or, um, you know, universal health care or the, uh, the, the, um, the confiscation of firearms, the, these are all things that are ideologically directly in line with the plans and ultimately the historical facts of what were carried out by the communists when they rose to power both in Russia and in China and in Cuba and in, you know, and in Venezuela. And all of this historical evidence points to the fact that there is a corrosive ideological influence and that corrosive ideological influence is stemming today mostly from China. That's why China is so heavily invested in the United States. It's why they're investing all around the world and building ports that these countries will never be able to repay. Um, uh, 
the, you know, handing out all these loans all around the world because they're basically buying access to these countries. And because we've been so enamored with counterterrorism, people did not do anything to interfere with the growth of this corrosive influence in the United States because we were all focused on, you know, Islamic terror. When in reality, the communist Chinese threat poses a much greater danger to us uh, in the long run than does, you know, Islamic terror. Okay, let me stop you there because you said a lot. The corrosive influence of China. China sees an economic interest in buying up territories and lands and building ports and buying buildings and real estate and creating wind farms in our country that they own. So they get, you know, I mean, like I've seen cases of all different kinds of Chinese investments in things in our country where they are profiting monetarily. But what you're saying is there's a corrosive influence that's saying, huh, China just bought the biggest skyscraper or bought a strip mall in my neighborhood. Therefore, as a citizen, I just must want the government to solve all my problems. Do you really correlate the fact that people are thinking big government is the solution to all their problems to China's economic interests in our country? Or is it a case that Americans are just damn lazy? They just want something solved for them. It's not that they are wearing Mao Zedong t-shirts and thinking China's the coolest thing. It's the fact that they just want their crap solved and they don't want to have to come up with a solution. So they just think the government should solve it. Mass shootings. Government should solve that. I don't like my job. Government should give me income. I don't like this. Government should solve that. Isn't it the people are being freaking lazy and not China recruiting everybody to be members of the Communist Party? (laughs) Right. It's not so much about a recruitment to the Communist Party. It's 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 the it's the education system that for the last, you know, 40 years has made it more and more and more palatable for people to be on the government dole. The the the. And Wait, you're saying they learned created, that in school, though, Thomas? I don't mean to challenge you here, buddy, but like you're saying that they learned that they should be on welfare from the school system. That's not on a curriculum. Well, it 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 is. In the sense that it's it's on the it's it's okay. So the more you make it acceptable to be on the government dole, school lunches, welfare, um, the entitlements, all of the entitlements programs, the health care, you know, uh, the, the 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 increases to the minimum wage, all these kinds of big government initiatives are designed to create a dependency on the government. But that's not the Chinese government's doing. No, I know what I, well, what I think it is, is it's the, it's the, it's the evidence of the ideology from the communists, essentially warming its way into our System. So, uh, and I can I can tell you that we were warned of this. We were warned of this by a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville, who said at the founding of the country that the American Republic will persist until uh, Congress realizes it can bribe the people with the people's money. Now that was that was said when we founded the country. Now look at where we're at: free college free housing, free education. Those are those are things free. people want, not necessarily things people have right now, because I sure as hell know right. that my college but, isn't paid for for my kids by anybody. But the ideology behind 
the transference of money from, like, the, the people that are recipients of this think the money is coming from the government. And the enemy of these people's prosperity handouts comes from people who are productive. Instead, what we should be promoting, which is what was the intent of free market capitalism, is to promote hard work to be successful, and then you'll be successful based on how much hard work you do. And now it's the opposite. We're actually incentivizing people not to work. And these are the corrosive ideologies of communism that we, we know for the last, you know, since the end of the, since the end of the Cold War, they had to, they had to change their mantra because they were defeated economically. And so, but we did not defeat them ideolo- ideologically. We had, we, that, that fight was just basically put on the back burner. And so, look, my overall point is, is that this is a corrosive ideology of dependence on the government that is encouraged and promoted by the communists. All right, I want to click pause real quick on the interview and say I think we're mixing a lot of things together there. I don't see a problem with free school lunches. I certainly don't think it's a problem to, you know, have low cost or free education in this country, and we're mixing a lot of things there. We're mixing in the end of the Cold War and Russian influence on our social media and also trying to mix in there the fact that the Chinese version of communism, for that matter, China's greater economic influence over our entire country because everything we buy is made there, is somehow responsible for every citizen wishing for socialism. Mm. I'm really finding it hard to connect all the dots in a very linear way there. But the interview had to go on and we had lots more to get to. What are your thoughts on the Department of Homeland Security declaring some of the militia groups and some of these groups out there um, exercising, you know, their Second Amendments? Naturally, I don't want to take that away from anybody, but we did talk about, you know, government's overarching reach, your fear of like the communist style intervention into people's lives. Uh, Where are you on some of these militia groups that, you know, a lot of veterans join? Yeah, this is... um... This is a very, very sensitive topic with me right now. Um, right now, there is this conversation about uh, militias and anti-government extremists and, and being potentially branded as domestic terrorists. This is problematic because there is no federal statute for domestic terrorism. This is problematic because there is no federal statute for domestic terrorism. We have a a federal statute for basically homegrown violent extremism or uh, foreign terrorist ideology that basically is carried out in the United States that, that gives the legal system a lot of latitude because the threat is originating outside the country into the United States. So there's a whole lot of latitude with regard to investigative capabilities because it's, it's originating sort of as a threat from outside the country. But when your own citizens are in militias or are anti-government, the FBI makes a very careful distinction. 
and they, they basically say that it is perfectly legal to be an extremist. You just can't be a violent or criminal extremist. And most people don't, most people that are even in the militias or in these kind of anti-government conspiracy groups don't really understand that the federal government is not interested in anybody who has extreme views. They are only interested in people who have extreme views who are potentially violent or are planning or going to carry out or have carried out a criminal act. So there's no such thing as domestic terrorism technically in the United States because, well, I mean, let me, let me be clear. There is, but there's no criminal statute for domestic terrorism. That's why you always find that these people that are in the media labeled domestic terrorists are actually charged with other crimes like, you know, illegal firearms possession or, uh, you know, making a weapon of mass destruction if they're making a bomb. They're charged with criminal acts that are not considered domestic. They're not a domestic terrorism charge. But anybody who makes a bomb. Yeah. That would be charged with the bomb-making charge, or anybody sure. who has an illegal firearm would be charged with the illegal firearm. The problem lie is the media has sort of taken these extremist groups, in their mind extremists, um, and they've labeled all people that are in militias as like extremists somehow. And in reality, most of the militias that I'm, so, you know, I'm not a member of any, but I'm, but I'm, I have you know, friends, and I've had connections with all these militia groups all across Virginia. And most of them see themselves responding to disasters like earthquakes or tornadoes or, you know, clearing the road if a tree falls during a, you know, major storm. Or, you know, they see themselves as a community group to protect their community from anything. And it's only viewed as extremists because I believe of people's inordinate an exaggerated fear of people who own firearms. If, if, if you had a group of people that had nothing but four-wheelers and chainsaws and they drove around their county and cleared roads after a tornado, you'd lift them up as heroes. Yeah, and in fact, we do have that. It's called the Cajun Navy down in Louisiana. I love those guys. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, were, they were lifted up in, in, in all of the press reporting and everything. But the reality is the root of that is the militia. What are we supposed to yeah. do about the guys that are willing to take their involvement in a militia one step further and just go start breaking? <laughs> do we just play whack-a-mole with this and hope that, you know, for every militia member out there, only a fractional percentage are the ones in their house, in their basement, messing with C4, trying to make their own bombs, trying to make their own right. breaching charges, trying to, you know, try to see how many yards it takes to nail somebody on the Capitol steps? Broadly speaking, I would say that you're, no matter what society you live in, you, if you're going to have freedom, you're going to have, there are going to be consequences to freedom. And that is that people are free to make bombs and to plan to carry out terrible, horrific things. And that's why we have to have a professional law enforcement organization that looks into these things and, 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 and articulates it carefully and carries out a, you know, a lawful constitutional investigation into people that are, you know, uh, that are, that are potential threats. And, and everybody supports that. I think that the reason you end up with somebody like a person that, that, it, you know, uh, breaks into the Capitol and is screaming and hollering, um, 
there is a level of distrust with the government at this point that has been exacerbated. As I said, one of the number one threats is social media. It's been exacerbated by social media that has created a climate of distrust with our federal government. And this concerns me as a member, as somebody who, um, and we've talked about this, we love our country. We love it so much. There are people out there who are willing to die for their country against foreign enemies and domestic. I'm one of them. I don't want a domestic enemy that's going to tear apart our country. What I think the problem is, is that these people feel to a great extent helpless to bring about any kind of change in the government, and they react in the manner that you saw on the 6th of January when they want the, they want the Constitution to be so real that they will go to the extent of invading the Capitol to, to, to carry that message forward. And I think that 99% of the people who even went into the Capitol building were trying to voice their frustration that the federal government is failing them. Now, I'll give you about 4% me, me, on that number because I saw well, a hell of I'm, a lot of people I'm, just I'm, breaking I'm, shit. <laughs> I'm trying to make it, you know, I was there on the 6th of January. This was, you know, 250,000 people surrounded the Capitol building, right? And a few hundred went inside, right? So you, that's an infinitesimal small percentage of people that were willing to, and, and I would argue 99% of the people who went in were not even the agitators that basically confronted the police. They were just in their minds, beneficiaries of the, of the, you know, the whole climb, right? <laughs> no, dude. I mean, I'm still going to call them thugs. I mean, they broke into the damn Capitol, but anyways, go on. What, what I wanted to get at is, is that we have to look at some of these catastrophic failures that have caused, um, that have caused this frustration with the American people. And that is, we have to look at the completely fraudulent counterintelligence investigation that was carried out against Donald Trump for the express purpose of damaging his political uh, capability as president. That is a fact. That is a fact. It, it is well-documented fact that they literally were conspiring against the president to essentially hinder his presidency. Um, the bogus impeachment, the first one, uh, also proved out to be completely fraudulent designed for it was a completely political impeachment had no basis in fact or reality um but was done for political for a political agenda you know we're talking about general michael flynn who was a well-respected revered general in the united states army that was smeared and his life they attempted to destroy his personal and professional life. They threatened his own, his children with prison to get him to confess to something he had not done. Let's not let the guy totally off the hook. Well, I, I mean, he did look, peddle I, some bat crazy theories. All right, real quick editorial note about General Mike Flynn. I'm sure he was revered by some in the military, but I think it's worth pointing out here. That yes, he is a United States Army Lieutenant General and was the 25th United States National Security Advisor. 
But that's not all the guy did. He did establish the Flynn Intel Group, which provided intelligence services for businesses and governments, including the nation of Turkey. He was paid $45,000 to deliver a speech in Moscow at a celebration for Russian television, which is a state-controlled Russian TV network. And hell, the guy sat at the head of the banquet table with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Then in 2016, he joined the Trump presidential campaign. But in March 2017, he had to retroactively file as a foreign agent, acknowledging that in 2016 he had been paid to do lobbying work for Turkey. Now, I don't know the details of the Mueller report, but I do know that he did confess to a felony count of willfully and knowingly making false statements to the FBI about his relationship and his communications with the Russian ambassador. And I think it's also worth pointing out that on the 4th of July in 2020, the guy pledged an oath to the QAnon conspiracy theory group. Claiming the guy's a revered general is sort of like me saying, I don't know, Motley Crue is a religious organization. I, I haven't seen anything from him that showed that he was, you know, but, but, I, but I recognize that certain things that he did um, enabled the, the QAnon, and, and I'm going to call it a cause. It is a conspiracy, but there were some people behind it. We just don't know who those people were yet. And some of the information yeah, that they said... I guess Russian away. terrorists. I'm guessing I'm Russian you. terrorists were behind the whole thing. I mean, come on. It was crazy. Wait, who was... Who was what would you say? Domestic terrorists? Russian. Macedonian. I don't know. Some kind of troll factory in some foreign country where they sit around in hoodies all day, speak a different language, and they, they think of crazy <laughs> to do. I bet you somebody invented QAnon and is the Q at the heart of it is just some, like, Macedonian troll trying to see how much, like, dirt he can stir up in America. That, that is why I say social media has been so disruptive, because going back to what I said, I've said in the past, that, and, and if you look at the first part of the Mueller report, you'll see that the largest Black Lives Matter websites were run out of Russia, that the whole Charlottesville thing that happened in Virginia was all choreographed by the Russians. Damn, another editorial note. We should also point out that it wasn't a Russian that choreographed a guy driving his car into a crowd of people and killing someone. <laughs> okay. I will not, because I don't know whether it's true or not, but I cannot imagine if I was the Russians and I wanted to so discord, chaos, and confusion in the United States that I wouldn't promote the QAnon conspiracies. Okay? I would. Okay? So this gets at the whole threat that the Russians and the Chinese pose to us because we do live in a free society, but they are able to micro-target vulnerable people. This is the thing I tell people all the time. These people, imagine a whole division, 100 or 200 experts in American history, psychology, and philosophy, that their whole job is to mess with a few hundred extremists in the United States and to get them all stirred up. Okay? That's what we have up against us. And in China, it's not a few hundred. It's thousands. Yeah. So yeah. we have to guard ourselves against these corrosive ideologies that are influencing our politics, our personal behavior. You know, one of the things that I say, and I'll just say this, I think that this really, to me, kind of sums up my hope for our country. Every year on Christmas, I do a video. And what I would say was this. I would say, I want you to reach out to your friends and family. 
that you've become disassociated with because of the political climate or because of whatever the case may be. And extend an olive branch and say, hey, I still love you. You know, you're my family. You're my friend. We disagree politically, but I still want to have the, the open relationship with you because I have seen for years the damage that social media has done to this country to break us apart, break our families apart, break our communities apart. You know, we're more divided in the United States right now than we ever have been, probably even before the Civil War, I think. We need to come back together. We don't have to agree, but we have to essentially love our country more than we love ourselves. That's the only way we're going to survive this. You know, we all want the same thing. We're not going to agree on how we get there necessarily, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't love each other, be friends with each other, and have open conversations with each other without taking it personally. But as you know as well as I do, people today can't do that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thomas Speciali, thank you so much, man. National Spokesperson for Vets for Trump Facebook group. Going through some changes, rebuilding, gathering momentum, and uh, building a base. Uh, appreciate everything you said. And more than anything, appreciate you, brother. Glad. Veteran to veteran, we can have this conversation. And, uh, and you brought up some incredible points. So uh, thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week. So please, like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.